Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 36. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hey there, this is Laura Reagan, your host for Therapy Chat. If you've been listening to the podcast recently, you've heard me talking a lot about self-compassion. So I'm super excited to bring you today's guest, Tim Desmond. Tim Desmond is author of the book, Self-Compassion in Psychotherapy. He's a student of Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, and he created a course called Foundations of Self-Compassion Online Training. Tim has dedicated his life to creating peace and compassion in the world through meditation, psychotherapy, conflict resolution, and nonviolent social change. I am super excited to share with you my interview on Therapy Chat with Tim Ambrose Desmond, LMFT. Enjoy. Welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, my guest is Tim Desmond, LMFT, who is a student of Thich Nhat Hanh, and an expert in self-compassion. Tim, welcome, and thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat today. I'm glad to be here. I'm really glad, too. I'm so excited to have you talk more about self-compassion and your work. I think it's going to be really fascinating for the audience. So can you start off just telling more about yourself and your work? Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll start from the beginning. Um, I grew up in Boston. Um, I grew up with a single alcoholic mom uh, had a lot of um, financial issues growing up. We were homeless for a while when I was a teenager. And um, so by the time I got to college, I had a lot of you know anger and sadness and loneliness. And it was in college that I was first introduced to the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, it was actually a, a political science class. Uh, his book, Peace is Every Step was assigned in that class. And when I read it, what I saw was exactly what was missing from my life, the practices of mindfulness, of self-compassion. And what I found was the more that I put these practices and these teachings, the more that I put them into practice in my own life, just the, the, the more 
peacefulness and happiness and feelings of connection that, that I experienced. And so as 19-year-olds are sometimes known to do, I found something that worked for me and I just completely dove into it. And so kind of from then on, I spent as much time and continue to spend as much time as I can studying with Thich Nhat Hanh, um, in Plum Village, the uh, monastery where he lives in France, in when he tours uh, the different monasteries, Blue Cliff Monastery in, in New York or Deer Park Monastery in Sandi- uh, near San Diego. And a couple years ago, I left Oakland, California to with a, a couple of friends who were um, a former monk and nun that, that had lived with him. We founded a mindfulness retreat center called Morning Sun Mindfulness Center in southern New Hampshire. And so I moved here uh, where, where, where I'm at right now to Morning Sun Mindfulness Center and, and uh, have been living here, kind of building a new practice space and community for the past couple years. Wow. So do you have your psychotherapy practice there at the Mindfulness Center? Yeah, uh, mainly here. I also um, I, I work with people kind of all over the world. Mm. Um, so sometimes distance, sometimes people come here. Uh, it's kind of a mix. That's really interesting. I heard you speak at your workshop at Psychotherapy Network just a couple weeks ago, as you know, and I I loved it. I was already using self compassion in my work with clients and have wanted to learn more about it. And I've read some, but I started reading your book and really goes into depth about the brain science related to self-compassion and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, some people don't understand that this is scientifically based, even Mm -hmm. though it's an ancient practice. Yeah. So I was, I was really interested in the explanation in your book of the dual process theory. Can you talk about that and how it relates to self-compassion? Oh, sure. Well, um, so dual process theory is, is uh, a theory from cognitive science. Uh, the, the best place to, to learn more about it is Dan Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, basically, cognitive scientists have come to understand that there are two different kind of modes of cognitive processing that people have. There is, um, and they, they call them system one and system two. Uh, so system one is our automatic, effortless uh, processing. It's kind of um, the cognitive processing that where you can determine is, you know, one object closer than another. If, you know, if I say, you know, two plus two equals, you know, just pops right up. Those kinds of things that don't require any effort. And the majority of, cog- of our cognitive processing is in that style. Um, system two refers to the types of cognitive processing that require some effort, that require us, what we would tend to say is that actually make us think. Um, and in my book, I, I talk about, um, some of the ways that this kind of understanding applies to developing, uh, mindfulness and self-compassion. One of the most important ones that I'd want to mention here is that, um, 
as we're wanting to, when we learn a new skill, whenever we learn uh, any type of new skill, um, it requires effort initially. If we're learning a new musical instrument, if we're learning how to speak a new language, when we're first beginning, it requires effort in order to be able to do it. It feels a little awkward. It feels unnatural. And it requires that sort of system to type of uh, processing. And with any skill, with enough practice, it begins to feel more automatic, begins to feel more natural. And it begins to feel, it, it begins to be something that system one learns how to do on its own. And uh, one analogy that I really like is about learning a new language. So if, uh, if, if you were wanting to learn to speak German, um, and when you go to your first German class, it's going to require a lot of kind of system to cognitive effort just to be able to remember the words and try to use them. But if you practice enough, then what you'll find is that that eventually uh, you develop some fluency and that you can speak German, uh, it, that someone can just ask you a question and you just respond. It's something that now is sort of an automatic system one process. And so it's, um, it's the same way with developing mindfulness and self-compassion in that um, when we first begin these practices, they can, uh, we can benefit from them right away, but it takes a little while. It takes a certain amount of practice before they start to feel natural, before they start to kind of become more of a part of who you are and before it starts to be sort of your automatic response to um, difficulty or, or problems in your life. And what we learn through cognitive science is that the main mediator, if you want to, um, if you want mindfulness and self-compassion to become something that feels more natural, to become something that is kind of your automatic response in moments of difficulty, the, the main mediator is practice is how much kind of time and energy have we put into practicing these skills. And, um, and it's through practice that, that we end up being able to create new habits. Yeah, so understanding that the thing that is so difficult and takes up so much energy when you're first learning it can become automatic with enough practice to me is really hopeful because I, I know a lot of my clients, um, I, I mainly work with people who've experienced childhood trauma, usually mm -hmm. related to abuse. Yeah. And when trying to do mindfulness, sometimes they feel frustrated that they find it difficult to detach from their thoughts. Yeah. And accessing self-compassion can also feel too hard sometimes for yeah. some people it's easier and some it's harder but sure knowing that there's scientific you know proof that if you practice it will become easier and can eventually become automatic is really reassuring yeah i mean uh 
Richard Davidson is uh, a, a, one of the most kind of highly respected neuroscientists who studies emotion. And one thing, his main talking point lately has been um, trying to communicate to people that well-being, that compassion, that gratitude, these should be understood as skills that we can develop rather than something kind of intrinsic about who we are or our personality. Mm. Um, and one of the reasons that I think that that's really important is because probably most of your clients know um, if you were talking about learning a musical instrument or learning to play uh, or, or learning to speak another language, the expectation would be, yeah, it's hard at first and then you start to get it. But for a lot of us, when we're trying to practice mindfulness or self-compassion, when we're going through that kind of initial hard stage, it's like, oh, I'm not good at this. I can't do it. You know, it's not who I am. And I think that's, the, that's sort of a, a mistaken view that can make it harder to develop these qualities. Yes, I agree. I do hear people say, I can't do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I understand that there are a lot of barriers, but it's just, like I said, it's reassuring knowing that everyone can do it with practice. Yeah. So, um, how do you see, you gave a, a pretty compelling description of your early years in that brief little, uh, explanation about your life. Um, how do you see the difference that self-compassion has made for you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, um, I really feel like I owe just about everything good in my life to the practices that I've learned from Thich Nhat Hanh. That I, I feel like I've kind of went from someone which, with a, a lot of anger and kind of self-destructiveness to someone who has a lot of peace, that, that who, who's in touch with, you know, more peace and joy and connection than I would have thought possible. And, and, and really, in my life, I think um, I was uh, giving a talk just yesterday in Providence, Rhode Island, and um, someone asked, what are the kind of qualities or conditions that kind of make it easier to be able to benefit from these practices? And for me, I... I I attribute a lot of what I've been able to ben how I've been able to benefit from these practices to one the good fortune of being around good teachers, um, and then two that when I find something that is helpful for me, I really dedicate myself to it. I kind of do it wholeheartedly, and um, so. The difference that self-compassion has made in my life, um, well, it, it's interesting. I, I've been thinking lately about self-compassion as having four different types uh, or sort of um, there being kind of four different types of self-compassion or forms that it can take. And, and the first one is that we motivate ourselves with kindness instead of criticism. And I think that might be sort of maybe one of the most basic forms of self-compassion in the sense that um, 
so many of us engage in self-criticism to motivate ourselves to try to do better. Mm-hmm. But researchers like Kristen Neff and, and other people who are studying um, self-compassion have demonstrated that people who motivate themselves um, compassionately are actually able to achieve more and particularly are able to persevere through difficulties much better than people who motivate themselves with criticism. So it's kind of like a, a client once um, once phrased it, it's like learning how to be my own cheerleader instead of being my own slave driver. Yeah. So that instead of kind of... Uh, Because one of the biggest dangers of motivating ourselves with criticism is that how it works is that we begin to fear failure. And that when you fear failure, um, often then you start to avoid situations where you might fail. And so many of us end up in situations where we don't want to try something new because we're afraid of our inner critic. And so being able to develop, to sort of motivate ourselves, encourage ourselves with compassion is, is one element. Uh, another important element of self-compassion is being able to um, have self-compassion in difficult moments in life. So if, um, if something unfortunate is happening in your life, whenever we're going through a hard time, one of the things that we want most is a caring, compassionate friend to be able to listen. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. To us and and kind of offer support and through self-compassion, we're able to have an internal kind of an internalized voice that can we can be present for ourselves. We can listen and we can offer that support. But then self-compassion can go deeper than that. Self-compassion practices can be used to heal, you know, pain and trauma from the past. Um, And that's one of the main focuses in my book is is looking at how we can use um, explicit compassion training practices and incorporate them into Um, work with trauma or work with other sort of pain and suffering from our past. And then I believe that possibly the most transformative element of self-compassion is learning how to have compassion for every part of ourselves, not just the ones that we like, but actually learning how to 
to interact with or to relate to the parts of ourselves that maybe we wish would change, that we, that the, the parts that we have a hard time with, to relate to those parts of ourselves with compassion as well. And so in terms of the impact of self-compassion on my life, I feel like um, self-compassion is not just about trying to improve your self-talk, that it can go deeper than that into being a real um, powerful set of skills for healing suffering from the past and for kind of um, befriending and um, learning how to, to create a more sort of compassionate relationship with all of the different parts of ourselves instead of these conflicts that we all experience. Yeah, that's so powerful because when we have within us what we need to soothe ourselves and comfort ourselves in hard times, you know, it's not that you don't need connection with other people, but you, you can, you don't have to look outside of yourself to find relief when you're suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being able to develop that internal source of compassionate presence um, I mean, in some ways, we, when we think about psychotherapy, we think about the client bringing their distress and the therapist. One of the main ther- things that the therapist brings is their compassionate presence. And so when we can develop an internal source of compassionate presence, it's, it can be you know, incredibly supportive and transformative. Yeah, that is very healing. So one of the things I love about your book, and um, I haven't finished it, but um, you have practical techniques for therapists to use in your book, Self-Compassion and Psychotherapy, mm-hmm. um, with basically transcripts of what, I guess, you've done in sessions and what you would say, what the client would say, and how it would work. I think that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, what, what I wanted to make sure that, that, uh, in putting, in putting all of these vignettes of so my, yeah, my book is mainly structured around vignettes because I feel like, um, in any of these practices that generally showing is better than telling. And that so much of my own journey has been, um, taking what I've learned from Thich Nhat Hanh and been able to apply in my own life and developing ways to share that with others, to share that with my clients and to be able to guide people through practices the way that I would practice myself. And you need different forms as a therapist than in a retreat center because we don't have our clients for you know 12 hours a day for 10 days in a row. You know, and most of our clients don't have kind of the patience or, or the perseverance necessarily to stick with a practice for months and months until they start to, you know, until it starts to really kind of click and make sense to them in the way that so many meditation students do. Mm. So one of the things that I developed was um, what I call dialogue-based mindfulness which is basically guiding people through these sorts of practices, mindfulness and self-compassion practices, 
while getting verbal feedback from the client about their experience, because I find that it's um, so much easier to guide somebody into a practice in a way that really works for them, in a way that that, that actually clicks for them, when I can, when I know uh, what obstacles are coming up for them, or or, or when they when they're sharing with me what their experience is rather than sort of the more traditional way of doing these guided practices where the the client is silent until the end and then they just kind of give feedback mm. um so i've i've so i've developed a few kind of skills that i write about in self-compassion and psychotherapy that i believe make it a lot easier to for clients to benefit from these types of practices and then i um describe you know, using lots of different clinical examples, what it actually looks like when you're uh, working with clients. I think that's really helpful. And I'm pretty eager to get to that part of the book so I can integrate that myself into my practice, because I do the meditations and get the feedback at the end, like you said, but not that, you know, questioning process as it's happening. Um, so I think that's really helpful. Um, what do you think about the importance of the therapists working on developing their own self-compassion when they use self-compassion practices with clients? Do you feel yeah. like it's necessary or not? Well, uh, <laughs> necessary is, uh, um, wouldn't necessarily, that, that wouldn't be how I'd frame it because necessary, um, there are plenty of people who use mindfulness and self-compassion with their clients and they don't have a formal practice in their own lives and their clients do benefit. But what I would kind of suggest and encourage for therapists is basically to say that there are two really important benefits that we can experience um, using these practices in our own lives. And the first one is that it makes it easier to find compassion for our own clients, especially the difficult ones. Mm. Uh, there's a, a client that I write about in the book. One of my first clients uh, when I was still in my practicum was a young woman who was, she said she was dating a really nice guy. Um, he was nice to her and funny and had a good job. And that she was cheating on him with an artist who was addicted to crack who kept stealing money from her. Mm. And... What I noticed, I was like, my internal response was just like, stop it. Like, just don't do that. Yeah. And, um, but at this point, I had been studying meditation for several years and was aware that I wasn't feeling compassion for her in that moment. And for me, that was a real red flag. So I bit my lip and got through the session the best I could. But then when I went home, I sat down on my little cushion. And I pictured this client and I felt all of the tension and kind of agitation come up in my body. And I'm sure everyone who's listening to this now, I'm sure that you have at least one client that if you pictured them right now, you'd notice some tension kind of come up in your body. And so I just gave myself some time and space to feel that uh, tension, that agitation, just whatever came up in my body without trying to change it. To send myself compassion and saying, you know, it's, it's okay for you to feel this. 
And as the thoughts started coming up, um, you know, I just wish people wouldn't act like this. I wish people wouldn't do this. I sent myself compassion and said, you know, it's all right for you to wish that. Of course you wish that. And as I settled and began to feel more peaceful, I recognized that in some ways she was reminding me of some people from my own life who had, you know, made bad choices and caused a lot of suffering for themselves and others. And so I went back to different moments in my own life and sent myself compassion there. And after practicing like this for a while, it's probably about 90 minutes, that eventually I was feeling really peaceful and really calm. And when I visualized my client again, I saw her completely differently. I saw how out of control she felt. And I saw that she didn't like the choices that she was making. And that's why she came into therapy. And for whatever reason, I couldn't see that so clearly because I needed to send myself compassion first so that being, I was able to kind of open my heart to this person in a, um, a, a fuller way after practicing self-compassion for myself. And the other thing that, the other benefit that we gain is more confidence and kind of comfort with these practices. Thich Nhat Hanh has given a couple of retreats for psychotherapists um, in the past. And one of the things that he'll say is, your own suffering is your best teacher. And I believe that that's really true, that as a therapist, we all, I mean, as therapists, we all experience anxiety, we all experience frustration and anger. And we all, you know, we all know what it's like to feel hopeless sometimes. And if we can learn to bring acceptance and compassion to ourselves in those moments, to kind of befriend ourselves in those moments and really to embrace those feelings, you know, like you're holding a crying baby, then what we find is um, working with clients when our clients bring those same issues, same, those same experiences, we just feel a lot more comfortable and a lot more confident in, you know, that it's possible to, to move through these things, that we don't feel kind of this, our own anxiety that we need to make these, um, this distress go away, that we know that we can stay present with it and that it's just part of life. Yeah, that's very powerful. And I must say, um, I know Thich Nhat Hanh has had a stroke, and I don't know if he's still doing this, but if they still offer retreats for psychotherapists, I think that's something that I know I would want to know more about. Do you know how to find information about that? Yeah, so um, he he suffered a stroke about a year and a half ago. Um, he was in a coma for several months. He was actually in uh um, rehabbing in a hospital for many months. And now he's back home in Plum Village in France. But, um, and he's getting around. He can, he can move around a little bit. He's, he's happy, but he's not speaking. Mm. Um, so he, it, it, it's looking like he probably won't be leading more retreats. Okay. Um, but, Retreats for, for therapists, I mean, I, I think that um, 
yeah, that there are there are lots of wonderful uh, Dharma teachers out there um, who are offering retreats for therapists. And at um, Morning Sun Mindfulness Center, you know, we we offer uh, retreats for the, for the public um, here as well. So if if people are looking to to sort of go on a retreat, then I feel like that's one of the best ways to, especially when you're beginning, to make these practices kind of part of your life. I, I think about meditation retreats kind of similar to um, having an immersion experience when you're learning a language. Yeah. That um, you have this sort of an immersion into the practice and that in a short time, you notice a lot of benefits. And then when you go back to your sort of practice on your own in, in your life, in your daily life, it just feels a little easier. It feels a little more natural um, if you've been able to have, you know, even a day, but if, if possible, a few days in, in some kind of a retreat environment. Will you share the website for Morning Sun Retreat Center? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, I guess I'll share two things. So morningsuncommunity.org is the, uh, the, um, website for, uh, our mindfulness center. And then the other thing that, that I'll mention for people who, um, uh, aren't, you know, going to travel up to New Hampshire. Um, I, I just launched, um, a, a 12 week online course in psychotherapy, in, um, in self-compassion that's for a general public. Um, and if you go to timdesmond.net, um, you can find that course there. So um, at timdesmond.net, there's a, a, a 12-week online course called The Foundations of Self-Compassion that people can explore as well. There's a, a seven-day free trial, so you can kind of test it out and see if it, it speaks to you. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask you about it. And that's for the general public, including therapists, right? In, including therapists. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Your book, your clinical course sounds wonderful. Your book is really great. Um, I also noticed it's great that you have a free trial, but I noticed that your course is priced very affordably relative well, to what yeah. a lot of things like that would be. So yeah. that's exciting. I'm definitely going to be doing the trial and check it out. Great. Well, I'm mindful of your time. So um, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I thought this was a really interesting talk. And I think that our listeners are going to want to find out a lot more about everything you're doing. Well, thank you, Laura. And it was uh, really great to talk with you, too. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.
Thank you for listening to the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, visit Laura's website at www.lauraregan.com. LCSWC.com.